Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Megan Barrington and we are going to be discussing Barrington Aesthetics, which is her company and her own brand name. Megan is an incredible individual who's kind of got a little bit of everything from nutrition certification to kettlebell certification to CSCS to athletic training certification and in just another month or two, she'll have her doctorate in physical therapy. She's also competed as a NPC bikini competitor, uh, qualifying nationally four times. So again, she's kind of done a little bit of everything. I'm a huge fan of her training style and the workouts that she puts together, and I know that you're going to love today's episode. So enjoy the show. Megan, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today. Hey, Dan. Hey, I'm excited too. Thank you so much for having me. For people who haven't seen your Instagram and all the crazy and unique exercises that you do or the amazing things that you've done in the past from bodybuilding to athletic training to you getting your doctor of physical therapy now, would you mind kind of filling them in a little bit about your journey and who you are and all the incredible things that you do? Hey, thank you. Um, it feels, you know, tough when you're doing it, but looking back, I feel like I actually have kind of done a lot, but um, yeah, so I am currently um, almost done with my doctor of physical therapy at Baylor University, and previous to that, I was working as a certified athletic trainer and strength and conditioning coach in the high school setting, um, so in that setting, you're typically working like for a physical therapy clinic, um, or I actually worked for a chiropractor at one point doing rehab, and uh, I just kind of felt like that lifestyle that um, an athletic trainer has didn't really suit me and that my favorite parts of my job were when I get to work one-on-one -on -one with someone and like help them get better, which is kind of few and far between when you're an athletic trainer, especially at a high school, because you're literally like working with 30 kids at once, um, which is rewarding in and of itself. But I just thought my strengths were somewhere else. So that's why I decided to go back to school. Um, and then just like how I got into this field in general, I've just always been a really active person. I was super fortunate to have parents who were passionate about exercise and my mom is a dietitian. Um, so just came from a background of having, you know, just very supportive family when it came to, you know, physical activity. Um, and my high school physical therapist was actually um, the person that originally made me interested in the field of physical therapy. And then I ended up kind of switching for a while, but came, came full circle. Um, yeah. And then the bodybuilding thing, I used to keep, or I wouldn't say used to, I have competed in the NPC in the bikini division, which is for anyone that is unfamiliar with bodybuilding, it's like the smallest version of the female divisions. Um, and I've taken a step back from that just because it doesn't really suit like what my other goals are right now, which are predominantly just, you know, functioning really well and getting stronger and not having to diet really hardcore. Um, or dye myself orange to go on a stage. But that being said, I have so much respect for the sport of bodybuilding just because I, I've done it, I've, I've been in it. And I know from the outside, it looks, you know, super just arrogant, but people that do it, they, they really have to be committed to it. So um, I feel like it's really helped me uh, just with discipline and work ethic, um, but also like with, with movement, like you, when you're doing like a bodybuilding movement, it seems to be that most people think it's very isolated. Um, like, you know, you're doing like just isolation movements essentially, but a lot of the time I think you will get more benefit from doing, you know, the compound movements that you do in a normal like strength and conditioning session. So um, just sort of, I guess the, the version of bodybuilding that I do is a little bit different than what most people would picture. Right, right. And yeah. you mentioned a lot of key points there, and I'm excited to unpack all of them with you today. So first off, I'm just really curious, you mentioned that you had a physical therapist in high school. Was there a certain injury or something like that that you faced? Or was it just a certain kind of pain or issue that you were dealing with? Or Yeah, so I played volleyball. And I honestly just had like ankle sprains. Like I never I've never had like a very serious injury. In my opinion, I've just had you know, your typical, not even like a coordination type thing. It's more like you're going up for a block and so is someone else. And then you come down on their ankle type situation. Uh, but he was actually, um, he was an athletic trainer as well. And so he was always at my school. And so I got to know him through that. And then he actually did like a program for like female athletes at my high school, along with his female um, 
colleague that was working with him at the clinic for ACL prevention or ACL tear prevention, I should say. And that was actually where I kind of got interested in like the strength and conditioning aspect and just, you know, using strength training and all the other things that kind of go into like return to sport rehab and prehab, um, and applying that to like my own personal training. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you haven't had any significant injuries. Let's keep it that way. (laughs) I like your training approach a lot. And I think that if any training approach would help to prevent injury, it's a lot of the things that you do. I didn't realize that you had played volleyball before though. And I've seen a lot of your videos and stuff on Instagram. So I guess I have to ask, are you taller than you might look every now and then? Um, I'm like five, seven and a half, five, eight. So I was an outside. Okay. So I, I wasn't like tall enough to play division one. Um, although, I mean, there are like freaks that can play division one <laughs> at five, eight. Uh, I'm not like super good at defense. So I wouldn't be able to play like back row, like libero or anything like that. Um, I could have definitely played division two, but I really wanted to go to a big, I wanted to go to the university of Washington um, in Seattle and there was no way I was going to play for their team because they were super good. <laughs> um, so I kind of decided to just, you know, play club and intramurals in college and, you know, just be a college student rather than try to pursue like a division two or division three uh, volleyball career in college. Um, but I actually got really into like beach and like doubles or, or even like um, three on three. And now when I go back to playing sixes, unless it's with people that like know what they're doing, I cannot do it. I can't do just like a pickup game with like a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing and play sixes because it's just it's so slow. Like it's oh my gosh, I, I'm sure it's like that for any sport that someone plays. Like if I go play basketball with people, they're probably like, oh, my God, get her off the court, you know. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty tall, but not like volleyball, volleyball player tall, in my opinion. Gotcha. So you're tall and it seems like you like everything to be fast paced. And I'm guessing that's part of the reason why the athletic training life probably did not suit you because at least for the athletic trainers that I've interacted with lately, it seems like a lot of them spend about 20 to 30 minutes with an athlete. And in that time they do stim ultrasound and ice or heat which um i don't know a whole lot of people that want to sit there and go like this with the ultrasound thing for 10 to 12 minutes but um apparently some do but i'm guessing that wasn't really your cup of tea um well in the college setting it's a little bit more like that sometimes um because you have well usually it's a lot more than just those modalities modalities because they have like so much money like I worked at Arkansas. Um, that's where I did my master's and that's SEC football. So there's a ton of money in that. Um, so they have a lot more like resources, but they actually do most colleges and it might, I think this is changing, but most universities do not have physical therapists on staff, or at least they didn't, you know, six years ago when I was at, you know, Arkansas. And then before that university of Washington, we did not have a PT. Um, so their all their rehabs for the athletes are done in house by the athletic trainers. Um, what, I thought, so initially I thought I was going to do college sports and I was like, I don't want to travel this much. Their hours are crazy. Like the pay is not good. Like it's just kind of, and also just college athletes are, um, they're moneymakers for the schools. So I just kind of, that kind of turned me off and this whole thing that's going on with like Tua, um, in the news, like that kind of just shows you it's the same in NFL. Um, and I won't say too much about that cause I don't know the whole story, but there's no way he should have been playing like absolutely no way. So that being said, I chose high school and you are correct. You're for the most part, you are actually just like waiting and not doing anything (laughs) or it's, so it's a lot of like, you know, if you have an emergency situation, you know, if a kid like gets a concussion or like at one point there was a girl that got like kicked in the throat by a soccer ball from like less than five feet away, that was pretty, you know, pretty scary. And I'm glad that I was present for that to like activate EMS and like figure out everything about that. But for the most part, you're not doing a whole lot. And I just felt like it was just unfulfilling um, in a lot of ways um, because I'm I'm a pretty proactive person and I really like to like be able to take someone from like their initial initial evaluation all the way through a plan of care. And with an athletic training job, especially when you're working at a high school for a physical therapy company, your job is to refer them to the physical therapist and not do their rehab. So um, yeah, that's pretty much the reason why I chose to go back to school. However, a lot of things overlap between the two professions. So it's been a really nice base, um, especially because Baylor is an accelerated program. So it's, it's two years instead of three. And that's 
pretty intense. <laughs> I mean, PT school in general is intense, you know that, but two years is, all, is it's like drinking from a fire hose, you know, they expect you to keep up with it. So um, it was nice to have a little bit of a background first. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of PT students that I've talked with in the past struggled the most with the hands-on component in the orthopedic realm. So getting a good feel for something like a Lachman, which fortunately that's very important stuff for an athletic trainer to be good at. So yeah. you've probably done that a time or two. So Lower like extremity is easy. <laughs> that's the I easiest like part that everything else is definitely, I'm like the same as everybody else. I the like the, extremity stuff was easy. <laughs> I like the overlap, but just knowing the kind of person that you are, I have no doubt that you would have been able to crush it, even if you didn't have that athletic training background, because you seem like the type of person who never really settles. You always push yourself for more, whether that be an additional certification or additional knowledge and training or changing up what you've been doing. I know you have a number of other certifications, and I'm sure that that all kind of feeds into your own training approach in the gym. So for people who haven't heard of those certifications or seen them yet, uh, what are they and how do they impact what you've done from a fitness standpoint? Yeah. So um, I would say, I mean, I have my CSCS, which do you, you have your CSCS, correct? Not You have CPT. Yeah. Okay. Well, for <laughs> everyone that doesn't know, CSCS is like the, one of the gold standards because you have to have a bachelor's degree, but honestly, it's like it's like any other certification, I think, in my opinion, in my opinion. Um, but it looks good. So that's why I got that one. Um, and I got it before I started my master's because I was like, there's no way I'm going to have time for this once I start school. Um, so I have my CSCS and uh, then my I got a kettlebell coaching, hard cell kettlebell coaching certification through Strong First. Um, and I learned a ton, like just, you know, about not not just like kettlebell stuff through that, but just how to you know, go between being stiff and being like soft. So like relaxation and stiffness, that's super important for like anything athletics. Um, I, I love certain things about strong first, but there's other parts of it that I just think like, if I were to only do that, I don't think it would be that valuable. So I like that. I I've experienced it and I can implement it, but I don't want to like only do their methods, if that makes sense. Um, but I would say the most valuable continuing education course that I've ever done. And it's not really a certification was, um, Katie St. Clair's empowered performance. Are you familiar with Katie? I'm not. Okay. Well, you should definitely follow her, her, she's a personal trainer, CSCS, and she is married to a physical therapist. Um, Jason St. Clair, shout out to Jason. Um, they're both awesome and so smart. And she, she has been coaching for a really long time and she's just super passionate about like elevating women in the strength and conditioning industry specifically, just because I think, you know, we're typically, you know, you don't think of like a woman as a strength and conditioning coach, you would think more of a, of a man and just like addressing things that women alone suffer from or more commonly suffer from like pelvic floor tightness or pelvic floor like issues in general. Um, and really just applying that to like athletic movement and like getting people to move at a high level that, you know, personal trainers don't necessarily have like an athletic background, you know, you, anyone not anyone, but it's easier to learn how to like lift weights slowly than to like do things that are like ballistic or, you know, multiplanar, you know, a lot of people are not doing multiplanar movements. Um, but Katie has a lot of different backgrounds, but she has a PRI background, which she implements into it, but I don't feel uh, it's the only component, which I think is really cool because I think PRI is really interesting and really valuable, but I, again, people that only do PRI, I feel like you're missing a lot and you can't really help people fully if you only do one thing, no matter what it is. Um, so yeah, Empowered Performance was, I learned so much and that I actually took that in 2020 and it is a, how long was it? 12 weeks, I think, but it's combined like lecture from Katie, but also guest lectures from like people all over the industry um, and then also programming. So it was it was awesome. And I met so many awesome women. And now she has men that do it too. Like it used to only be women and then men were getting pissed because they wanted to take it. And like, she finally like allowed them to, I'm like, that's the whole point is you want men to respect you. You have to like, let them in, you know, it's gotta be, you have to be able to like communicate on the same level as people. You can't just like shut them out because you feel like they shut you out, you know? So yeah, it's awesome. I would highly recommend it. That sounds very similar to 
uh, what Eric Diagati and Mike Perry are currently doing with principles of program design, where the course is essentially taking the things that you default to from your programming sense and challenging it. So, you know, mm. if your go-to with a client is, you know, barbell method, like barbell training or barbell rehab method or whatever, you use barbells. Where someone else goes strong first and kettlebell approach, then, hey, let's flip that. And the barbell guy, you have to create programs for your clients using only kettlebells. And the kettlebell guy is only going to use a barbell now. And not yeah. only are you going to do that, but you're also going to explain the rationale behind it as far as like that. why you're doing the things that you do. So I like the push of getting people outside of the box, thinking getting people to think outside of the box and getting them out of their comfort zone. Because I think that if you don't have a plan, you'll likely default to the same basic movements and the same basic workouts time after time, which totally. there is value in that. Everyone should be doing some type of press, some type of pull for the upper body. Everyone should be doing a squat, a hinge, and a lunge pattern for the lower body. And I think everyone should be doing some type of load and carry. Those are basic fundamental things that I think everyone can benefit from. However, that does not make up 100% of your training. There's so many other things that you can do. You can get you can get fancy with things. You can have fun with what you do. You could think outside the box and just kind of like freestyle move, I like to call it, where you go into like, you mentioned PRI, I'll mention like animal flow, or we mm -hmm. could mention like... Um, I, it's escaping me right now, but some kind of like Pilates, yoga, active yeah. kind of movement kind of thing. You can get really fancy with what you do and have fun doing it. And it's still going to benefit your fitness just as much as something strict and regimented would, I'll say. Right. Well, sometimes what your body needs is what you're not doing. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of the time, especially like teaching people to like deadlift, a kettlebell is like my go-to because... I feel like it's easier to like have someone's brain register the hinge pattern with that implement. Um, but yeah, no, I could not agree more. And I love, I love all the calisthenic, like crawling around on the floor, animal flow stuff. I'm sure you've recognized that from my page, but it just feels good. Like it's, it feels good for your brain, you know, just have your hands and your feet on the floor. Well, as we we're talking before, there's lost arts in a lot of different fields. And I think in general, from what I've seen of strength and conditioning, and again, this is a general thing, not speaking to anyone specific, but a lot of coaches would benefit from incorporating more GPP in their programming. So general physical prep for anyone who's not familiar with the four quadrants, because a lot of times we jump right to quadrant three or quadrant four, and we have people who specialize in bench squat deadlift, or we have people who specialize in clean and jerk, clean and press and snatch. And unfortunately, they're really good at those, or fortunately, they're really good at those things. But unfortunately, they're not really good at moving in other planes of motion, or they're very weak in other planes of motion, and they compensate. But athletes are notoriously good at compensating. And it's very difficult to kind of find those patterns that they default to sometimes. And if you don't get out of the planes of movement that you're defaulting to, a lot of times that could contribute to the pain and weakness or dysfunction that would possibly lead you to see a physical therapist in the first place. And, you know, I'll speak for myself, but I'm guessing you would agree that it would honestly be a great day if I could close up shop and say, I don't have to practice as a PT anymore because no one gets hurt and no one gets injured ever. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're always going to be employed. You know, if it's not one <laughs> thing, so it's too. the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I actually, um, are you familiar with like DNS? Uh, I explain a little bit. So dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Oh, yes. Um, it's another just teaching tool. I don't know. I learned it when I was working with the, I worked for a sports chiropractor as their rehab specialist. So as a, so like literally the, the model of chiropractic that PTs hate because it's like direct competition, which I think they should combine because I think that's like, they cover all their bases, you know, as far as like licensure goes and just like w ways of thinking. But anyway, um, I'm a really big fan of like using, you know, external cues with, with DNS. There's a lot of like floor contact or just external cues with like kind of like overcoming isometrics. Um, to help like 
initiate muscle contractions or like get people to like be in a certain position. Um, so I, I love just external cues in general. I think they're so magical, but DNS was another like big influencer. Um, just, you know, certain exercises that I like literally do that are from what I learned, but also just applying the principles that they teach. So, yeah, that sounds similar to like a functional range conditioning, but yeah. we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, the principles behind your training, but we haven't really got into your training yet. So if people haven't seen some of the cool stuff that you do, what's a typical workout or week of workouts look like for you? And what's your rationale behind some of the different movements or tweaks that you make to fundamental movement patterns? Yeah. So, um, right now I'm doing like an upper lower split. So, um, that's kind of influenced by like my bodybuilding passion, I guess. Uh, so, you know, I, I absolutely love pull-ups. So I do those a couple times, two or three times a week, depending on, on the week. And if I feel like working out on a Saturday and just exploring, which is what I did today. Um, but on my lower body days, I'll typically do, you know, my, my prep work is where I do like the quote unquote, like weird Megan stuff. <laughs> Um, my prep work or like on my, my days that are like active rest days or just like mess around Saturday type things. Um, part of the reason that I, I do explore so much is because I have like a massive exercise library on YouTube that I use for client programming. Um, and, and everybody needs different things. Um, so, you know, I do like the basics, like a squat variation, bench, deadlift, all those things that you just talked about really. Um, modifying things like with a band here or a band there, or just like some sort of external cue. Like I really like teaching people how to do like RDLs with like a bench, just barely touching their calves. Um, just so that they're cued to like send their hips back rather than like let their knees bend or like try to keep their knees super straight. Um, so like things like that. So, I mean, my, my training I would say is I feel like it's kind of normal, but with some weird twists, but I guess you know, I don't use a lot of machines. I use a lot of like barbells, dumbbells, uh, kettlebells, things like that. Um, I'll use cables occasionally, but not like super, super frequently. So right now my goals are just honestly stay strong, move well, um, make it through school. Uh, so yeah, I mean, don't really have, it's my passion. So there's no like immediate goal right now, other than just to feel good and like how I look and like how, um, I'm able to perform. So yeah. Gotcha. I like that kind of unique blend of things. And I like how you said that's kind of like the weird phase to your preparation of just kind of like letting yourself move. And yeah. I mean, I, again, think that there's times when just general movement is all that you need for like a warm up. Like I see nothing wrong with, you know, if you're going to be doing strength training or speed coaching or whatever with a group of athletes, instead of doing a fixed regimented stretching series or something like that, why not just say, Hey, you know, we're going to play like a five minute game of handball, or we're going to play yeah. a quick game of freeze tag and just kind of get everyone up and moving and speed up, slow down, uh, using different planes of motion, uh, acceleration, deceleration. I just threw out a ton of terms. Uh, my brain's going faster than my mouth right now. Um, but basically just kind of resetting everything back to the general basic level of things so i like that a lot now i'm curious do you ever get some interesting looks from people at the gym when you're doing some of these things oh totally <laughs> luckily the gym that i so i have a like a squat rack and like a pretty full gym in my garage so sometimes i'll train there but i just even though i don't really talk to people much at the gym i like to just be around other humans sometimes um, so I go to a, like a UFC gym. So there's people doing weird stuff in there all over the place. Like people are rolling on the floor in UFC gyms typically. Cause it's like, you know, an MMA gym. Um, so I don't get as many weird looks here. Uh, but I do get a lot of people like asking me questions or like, how do you do that? Or like, why are you doing that? Or that kind of stuff. So yes, it, uh, it's way worse at like a LA fitness or like a 24 hour fitness. Cause people don't typically do quote unquote functional things there. So the girl that's like doing weird dragon squats and things like that is like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> you, you mean you don't like jumping from machine to machine and just moving? No, I don't. <laughs> I know it's shocking. Yeah. And to me, that's not like you're generally improving your strength and fitness. And I am an advocate for getting everyone in the gym and moving. So if that is your level of fitness and moving, 
keep going for it. However, if you want more of a athletic focus or more of a dynamic uh, movement type of series, or if you're just trying to be more athletic in general, jumping from machine to machine to machine is probably not the best way to do that. Yeah. And I feel like machines, people often go to them because they think they're like easier. Um, maybe because it's like obvious what they're for. Cause each one has an individual purpose unless you're me and you can use them for other stuff um, <laughs> or I'm sure you too would be creative. Um, but like, I don't think they're easier. Like I think they fix you into like a certain anthrop anthropometry um, and they can actually be not that great if you're not like actually aware of like how your body's supposed to move. So I wish that everyone who's going to the gym for the first time would have someone to teach them how to do like those basic lifts that we were just talking about. Um, like, I mean, I have clients that two of, two of my most consistent and badass clients are a husband and wife that I've been training in their basement since 2020. And they're like in their fifties and we do athletic stuff all the time. Like we modify obviously, but like you can teach anyone how to move in like the transverse plane and you should in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, because everyone is very sagittal plane dominant in general. Yeah. And I like how yeah. you brought up that fitness doesn't have to be always at the gym. Like you can still get a decent workout by, as you said, rolling around on the floor in yeah. uh, your basement. And mm -hmm. I like how you kind of brought in the husband wife duo as well, because I like the social aspect to uh, fitness. So do you ever make your fiance do some of these crazy workouts with you? Or is he a totally different ball game? So he's a physical therapist um, and he actually was a college athlete. He played baseball in college and he loves like he loves all this kind of stuff, too. He doesn't he's not like as obsessed with working out as I am, which I think is good because we balance each other out. Um, but like we'll run ideas past each other and stuff. And like um, he. uh he will he will work out with me on occasion but usually he'll do his own thing um which again i think it's good to like have separate things but we'll definitely like we definitely have the same passion but just like slightly different ways of going about it but um typically i don't make him work out with me now <laughs> what's been your favorite machine modification if you do use a machine Jeez. and you think outside the box with it do you have like a certain go-to or a certain thing that you like to do so smith machines I think can be really valuable for like pressing or pulling um, because like with, for example, like with an upright row, a lot of the time people don't even like go close to it because people will tend to like move. They don't like externally rotate as they're bringing their arms up. And because of that, they end up like with like impingement symptoms, but with an upright row on a Smith machine, you can literally pull back against it because it's not going to move. Um, so I think it's a great way to like get like your rear delts and like everything in the back to just sort of open up your shoulders a little bit better. Um, and then also, uh, doing like a, like a Z press with the Smith machine, because you can really push, it's almost like a landmine press. Like, you know how you can like push down into it. Um, so I like that. And then I also like using the, um, like round thing for like a leg extension for a Bulgarian split squat, because it's like a great height and it doesn't it's not square. So it like molds to your foot, which is kind of handy. Um, so yeah, those are the three that I can think of right now, but how about you? Do you have I one? like it. I, I like where your head is at. Um, so I've actually just started incorporating this, um, per recommendation of Derek Millander. Uh, Derek and I, we go way back. And if you haven't heard our podcast yet, uh, together, highly recommend you listen to them, but he started talking about isometric exercises because isometrics are great for a lot of things. And he was like, yeah, you know, so for in-season guys, a lot of times when we're on the road, we just jump on machines and I put the pin all the way, heaviest weight it'll go. I just tell them to push into it, hold for 10 seconds and relax. The weight doesn't actually move, but mm -hmm. it's a great way to kind of cue some mind-muscle connection. And I've actually been doing that with machines lately before I would squat, before I would deadlift, because I just want to kind of turn the lights on to certain muscles, but not fatigue them. And I've actually, one, enjoyed it a lot and gotten a lot of benefit out of it. But two, it's also kind of fun to turn heads when people are at the gym, they turn and they see you pushing and making like a really strenuous face trying to move uh, a machine, <laughs> but nothing's actually happening. Um, yeah, so, that's awesome. Can, I love you, that. 
you can incorporate isometrics into a lot of different things. It doesn't just have to be a machine. Like you could use a wall or a ball at a wall, or you could even just lock the Smith machine and do hip flexor isos there. Um, so I've been digging the isometrics lately. Uh, and I've also really liked, I guess this isn't, this isn't a great machine analogy, but you know, that little V bar that goes on a like pull down. Yeah. The the, the, I like that name. I've never called I it, call it a house bar. I love it. I'm going to start calling it the house. I grab the house and I put it on top of a pull-up bar and then I uh-huh. go over under. So I'll go like, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come back down. Um, I don't have a great name for that other than either a over under pull-up or B the Tom Cruise pull-up because I first saw it in a mission impossible movie. So therefore it's gotta be the Tom Cruise pull-up. That's awesome. Um, but those have been my two go-tos personally anyways. And yeah. I like that, you know, you can kind of look at things and think outside the box with them. I've even seen someone, there was a, I think it was like a prone hamstring curl machine and he somehow rigged it up where he could do like anterior tib raises on a prone hamstring curl machine, which nice. I was a huge fan of because that's a yeah. often neglected muscle group that a lot of people don't train. Um, but sure. I love the concept of thinking outside of the box in fitness. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the pull-up thing. I actually do, I'll do like a grip like this on the bar and mm-hmm. do the same type of thing, but my grip, I, then I switch. I know you mentioned before that a lot of the um, cool stuff, we'll call it, that you do is related to animal flow in nature. So you've talked about the, I believe it's like the sit through thing that you'll do as a nice active full body warm up. Um, are there any other, oh, I know what I wanted to bring you. Um, I know you also like the Z press and a lot of people have, I, I think you're almost famous for this Z press thing where you're holding a band and then you add in a bunch of different hip flexor work and all that sort of thing. So would you mind kind of breaking that down a little bit for people? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even, I, I, so it's funny because sometimes people are like, where did you learn this? I'm like, I think I made it up, but I might've like seen something sort of similar somewhere. Instagram's like a giant black hole of great stuff and not great stuff. But um, yeah, so essentially I am, so a Z press is a long sitting position for people that don't know. So you're basically sitting as like an L and your legs should be totally straight. If you have like a pelvis that is stuck in anterior tilt, for example, or if you have tight hamstrings, uh, you may have a hard time like keeping your legs straight, which is one reason why I like that position because it kind of reveals a lot. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to have to, to mime it, even though I know we're on a podcast. So you'll Let's see the hand motion. I'm so here. I, I sit and then I anchor a band like up nice and high and then press straight out. So like protraction basically of the, of the scapulas and like, I guess, then into flexion of the shoulders. And then I try to hold it. So I'm in like by my ear as close to by my ears as I can with my biceps. So as far into flexion without, you know, falling over. Um, and it's basically just a great like anti-extension exercise for like the rectus abdominis. Um, but also with your pelvis, um, that obviously your rectus abdominis like attaches there too. So if you're not able to control it from top to bottom, then you're going to end up with sort of an anterior tilt. And then if you try to lift a leg, it's not going to go very well because your leg's basically going to either not move or it uh, will move and then kind of like fall back down. So essentially I just try to maintain awareness of like my like stacked rib cage over pelvis position, and then just keep all that stable as I'm straightening my leg. So um, to explain it in a little bit more detail. Uh, so as you know, like packed it, passive and active insufficiency. Um, so in that position, your quad to raise your leg, your rectus femoris is fully shortened if you have your hip flexed and your knee extended. And so uh, typically it doesn't like that very much. So it might get kind of crampy, but you can sort of like work your way past that. And then the next time you do it, it's not going to be as bad. But also on the other side of your leg, um, your hamstrings that all attach to the bottom of your pelvis. And then, you know, on your lower leg, they have to be fully lengthened. And so if you can't like maintain a position that allows for both of those, then you know, you're going to be limited. So I like it for just like really getting everything in the core and just the whole body, just like awake and integrated, but also it's really revealing, um, of like a person's kind of what they struggle with as far as like pelvis position, for example. Right. Right. And I can see how that would have a ton of utility in say clinical practice, but also strength and conditioning, because there's a lot of times I think strength coaches forget that they can do exercises like that, that 
might get this weird label of corrective exercise in nature, when in reality, it's just a great exercise, one, from a neuromuscular standpoint, but two, it's going to kind of wake up and challenge muscles in a way that you don't normally challenge them because most of those functional movements we talked about before, like a squat or a deadlift, for example, they're not really going to hit a hip flexor the same way that an exercise like that would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually used it with a modification of that with a 19 year old patient who has spondylolisthesis. And because he obviously has a really hard time controlling his like anterior core. Um, and it was, it was funny because I demonstrated it with like, of course, as a PTU demonstrate two reps and they're like, okay, your turn. Like, it's really hard. I only did two now go do 10. Um, and he like used the same band as me. He almost fell over. And then he was like super deterred. He's like, you know, he's an athlete. He was a sprinter. And so he was like super determined to get it right. And he actually did, he did great. And he felt, it was like, it was like such a money exercise for him. Um, but I actually had him do it on like a physio ball, uh, with his feet, like his knees at 90 degrees and his feet pretty narrow so that he couldn't like compensate out of it. And if his pelvis was all over the place, then he's not going to be able to stay up very much. Um, but yeah, I think there it's, there's all these weird exercises are so valuable just to like sprinkle in for based on like what someone needs in order to do the other, like, you know, more normal stuff better in my opinion. Right. So how do all those weird things actually carry over to those normal things? So um, I think you had one a while back where you're doing like a side, like a Copenhagen plank on a med ball. And you were saying that that was what you needed to help you with your squat. And I know a lot of people are going to look at that and they're going to say, wait a second. So she's just ad- activating her adductors and then she can squat better. But we, we know so there's neglected. there's a little rationale to it. Yeah. These poor adductors. No one loves them. They just, just everyone just wants to like put a band around their knees and like waddle across the room. But <laughs> um, and we do need that. And many people like do benefit from like learning how to abduct and like strengthening their glute meat and all that. But adductors, like if you're in stance, like if you're in single leg stance, you are not like opening your legs. You are literally standing on your leg and you are internally rotating on that leg, your pelvis on your femur. So that's kind of the rationale between, it was a, it was a single leg squat with that Copenhagen plank. And it was kind of like, because my, especially like on my left leg, I have a hard time like getting that sort of closed chain internal, internal rotation. Um, and my dorsiflexion is a little, little limited. And I don't know if that's because of what's going on in my pelvis or if it's the other way around or both. Um, but yeah, and I found like, I've had people do like adductor stuff before. Like I worked with a woman who she's also a strong first instructor and she had trouble with her pistol squats and we did some like hardcore adductor isometrics and she was like bouncing, like she was able to do like 10 pistols in a row. It was insane. She was so happy, but, and that's not what everybody needs, but I know I personally knew that it was what I needed just because of what I was feeling um, in my own body. And I think that many people could probably benefit from like loving their adductors a little bit more just because, you know, they don't really, no one wants to like grow your adductors and no one wants to like, look at them as like, you know, needing to be stronger, but it's a huge, I mean, it's a massive part of your leg, especially after Magnus likes to do everything for everyone. So why are we not working them? I don't know. <laughs> I think that should be your APTA president campaign slogan. Just love your adductors or love put your on a t-shirt, something like that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and it's weird how you would think that as such a big and important muscle group, we would actually focus on it or pay attention to it a little more than we do because I feel like outside of a basic manual muscle test that's usually done in a seated position, there's not a whole lot of love given to the adductor muscle group. And in fact, I don't even think, at least in my experience, very, I don't think very much attention was given to even strengthening or activating them in intervention courses. Now I get that, you know, school can't cover everything, but I would think that, you know, if it is as essential to functional movement as we know it is from things like a deadlift to things like a squat to overall stabilization to injury prevention of Mm -hmm. something like say a hernia which is pretty common in athletes then we should probably do something a little more to uh to uh address it now obviously copenhagen planks are great and a lot of people like the you know, the machines, but there's a lot of other ways to work them or sneak in more adductor work. 
Do you have any totally. kind of go-to cues or set up yeah. or weird things that you do for them? Yeah, well, Copenhagen's are big. Um, a lot of people cannot do them. And part of it, I think it's like a core, it's like a core stability thing. And it's like, don't just think about your adductor. You got to use everything else at the same time, or you're not going to be very happy. Um, so you can modify, you know, just decreasing the length of the lever, things like that. Um, but I was going to say, I don't really love the machine just because typically we're not like using our adductors functionally by bringing them both together. Although you will get stronger for sure. Um, but one that I actually really like, I did it, um, on Wednesday and it's getting like a plate like a big, you can do, depending on the surface you're on, use like a heavier plate or like a smaller plate. And then you essentially just do like a lateral lunge with your lead leg. And then you scissor your legs together. So you bring the plate towards your lead leg with your other leg, if that makes any sense, your trail leg. So it looks like you, from an untrained eye, you probably think you're using the leg that is dragging the plate and you are but like, I really like it for the leg that's on the ground, like fixed because you're really in that like stance, like lateral lunge position. Um, so that's a big favorite. Um, and then just any, like any kind of lateral lunge, um, slider lunges, or like even a TRX lunge, those are great because you can't really cheat. <laughs> uh, or if you try, it's not going to feel very good. Um, but yeah, I would say probably probably those. And then just like incorporating the adductors into things like uh, a bridge. Um, I use that with a lot of people that get like back pain or just like, it's not like a bridge just isn't happening yet. Um, getting like an adductor, like an isometric adductor in there can kind of stop them from like going all the way into their spine. Um, and then like, I really love like narrow stance squats if someone has the range of motion for it. Um, uh, yeah. And if a lot of things. If they don't have the range of motion for that narrow stance squat, I would imagine the best thing for them to do would be like 20 to 30 minutes of static stretching a day, right? That's all they would need. Probably. Yeah. Or we could like <laughs> elevate their heels or put them like just modify the depth or give them like a counterbalance or something like that. But we could also just stretch. That's probably best. <laughs> it's easiest. It, it fixes everything. You can go do other things while they do that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so if you do have someone who has poor mobility, which is pretty much always either the ankle or the hip, however, it can be other places. Do you have any go-tos as far as like increasing mobility quickly without say joint manipulation or going to get like scraping or cupping done or something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like sometimes mobility, especially if like for an older person, it is like, you know, their joints have like cobwebs in them essentially from being in a certain <laughs> position their whole life. Um, but a lot of time with younger people, it's, I think it's more like neurological, like they're just more tense because their body doesn't necessarily feel stable. Um, so like for myself and then for like some of my clients, like if they're having a hard time with like hip internal rotation or, um, even hip flexion, like getting them to like do like an ad like a, a heavy isometric adductor exercise um can sometimes help it's almost like getting like a distraction like a hip distraction belt like a mobility belt and like pulling on the proximal femur like pulling laterally or pulling um inferiorly but you're sort of having them do it with their brain and their body with like a heart like a overcoming isometric at the adductor because you sort of like do something kind of similar if that makes sense um and that can work i've found with people that have like you know neuro more neurological tightness but i mean you can do like band distraction exercises that you know you don't necessarily need a person another like a therapist a skilled therapist for if you teach someone how to do them properly just kind of helping pull the femur in a, a better place um and then for ankle stuff um again i feel i mean i don't know do you agree it just kind of depends on how long they've been like that and like what the reason is so I would agree with that. I would also say never neglect the subtalar joint because a lot of people uh, are actually good at dorsiflexion range. However, they lack it in either inversion or eversion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all about, you know, getting to the root cause of the, uh, the why behind your lack of mobility. So yeah. you might have limited ankle dorsiflexion at the talocrural joint, the ankle joint, However, you're actually missing inversion or eversion at the subtalar joint. And that's the reason you're not moving forward into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. The foot is so interesting to me. Are you, <laughs> like are you everyone a, neglects it. Are you a barefoot person? I, yeah, yes, I am. <laughs> I am. Uh, it's funny. Cause even if I'm doing like upper body, I will be barefoot just cause I prefer to be barefoot. And like, I have to wear shoes at work. 
So why not like take an hour of my day to start like to be barefoot? I mean, I wear socks at the gym, but um, yes, I am barefoot person or um, I've heard that like Vivo barefoot shoes, I've never worn them, but I've heard those are pretty good because they have like a wide toe box and they're pretty like low. Um, but yes, I prefer barefoot at least, especially for like lower body um, days and things like that. Unless there's like certain things I'm doing where I'm like jumping and it's not like socks doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's going to like slide on the turf or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah. Agreed about the ankle. And I think it's, it's so difficult too, because people are on their feet all day or not on their feet all day, but like what we're, how we walk that just affects everything. So it's hard to like teach someone how to do something that they do all the time better, you know, without like making actual changes within a, like a physical, physical therapy session. Um, but I guess it's a, it's a good challenge to have. Right. Would you say in your opinion, and I've debated this with people in the past and I'm always open to hearing other takes on it. Would you say that the benefits to the barefoot are more of a structural thing? So less compression force in a narrow toe box shoe or a shoe that doesn't fit quite correctly because for some reason shoe quality has gone out the window the past 10 or 15 years um, or would you say it's more of a functional of, you know, we're not going to change the way the foot's aligned, but we get more proprioceptive input. We kind of wake up more muscles. What would you say the real benefit behind that is in your opinion? Yeah, I would totally say proprioception um, because I use like cues from the foot for a lot of different stuff. Like, I mean, teaching them to like have that like tripod pressure or like getting people to freaking keep their first met head down because no one wants to. Um, and usually that's like, they're leaking all this like tension because they're just like supinating as they like hinge back into a deadlift. And then they have nowhere to go from there. You know, like you're already like externally rotated. Um, but yeah, I would say more proprioception and then just like ground, like grounding sounds so like crunchy, but like you are, you're more able to like root yourself to the floor. And I agree with you. Like there's very few shoes that I really feel like safe in. And it's probably because I'm barefoot a lot. And so when I train with shoes, I feel kind of weird. Um, and it, it is kind of just what you're used to as well. But I do think that with, especially like squat, deadlift, um, lunging, anything that's very lower body focused and you're going to be loading it heavy. I think that you are doing yourself a disservice to not have your, uh, the ability to like really feel what your foot is doing and like create tension from the floor up and on your ASICs running shoes are not going to do that for you. So <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I think my favorite is when I go to the gym and I see someone squatting in hokas, which, um, <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> your face like, just cringe. said, it yeah, it's <laughs> like squatting on a BOSU ball. It's literally yeah. like squatting on two BOSU balls actually. But both um, sides are the springy side. <laughs> yeah, you, you look at it and it's just like there's so much anterior and posterior motion that can mm -hmm. occur in that shoe. Um, and while it might be a great shoe for running, I don't think it's a great shoe for squatting. Um, yeah. And I definitely fall more on the functional side with a lot of things because unfortunately we can't change structure. Um, but we can change how things work. And if you've ever seen LeBron James, you'll know that he's at least okay at basketball, I would say. Um, He's all right. But uh, there was this thing trending a while back of someone got a picture of his feet at the beach. And like he has uh, like two toes that wrap under another one. And they're just kind of all kind of gnarly looking. Oh, yeah. Kind of weird. Um, but, you know, I've heard people all the time. They're like, yeah, you know, I got surgery because I didn't want to get a, you know, end up with a bunion and be unable to walk. And it's like, well, Here's someone who literally has two toes that wrap under the other ones and he can go up and down a basketball court all day like it's nothing. So yeah, that's things, crazy. Things might be structurally not the way we want them to, but that doesn't mean that they're going to function uh, incorrectly per se, as long as totally. you have the appropriate training. Yeah, training and like your ability to compensate. Um, although you're, you know, you might not have as much longevity, but no elite athlete has longevity. So I'm sure he'll be... I mean, he's obviously amazing. So, yeah. But if That's you want, cool. I didn't know that. If you want longevity, you should probably train like you do because you check off all different planes of motion, and you check off pretty much anything that you would need as far as strengthening goes and activation goes. And I think that you have a very 
well-rounded approach to the way that you approach fit uh, fitness from a functional standpoint. Thank you. So for people who want to find out more about that or, you know, check out that YouTube channel that you mentioned or maybe Instagram, we mentioned that a few times. Um, I know we haven't talked about MySpace yet, but I'm sure you're still out there somewhere. Uh, where can people oh, find God. you? <laughs> um, yeah. So my YouTube channel is actually private. It's unlisted because I only use those videos for like, like programming for clients. And I post so much stuff on Instagram. So if someone doesn't want to pay for a program, which I totally understand, then they can just find a lot on my page. Um, but I'm definitely most active on Instagram. I refuse to get Twitter. I'm just, it's just so daunting and overwhelming. And I just don't want to spend any more time on social media. So sorry, I probably won't ever have a Twitter. Um, but yeah, my Instagram is at Megzy072. Um, I am planning on changing my handle in December once I have, uh, once I'm Dr. Megzy. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to change. I love um, that. I love that. The only reason it's Megzy is because Megs is my nickname, but it was taken. So I had to add the I and now everyone's like, some people think my name is Megzy, but it's fine. Um, and then I have a website, um, it is Barrington Kinetics. And that is my last name. Um, I actually will be changing that. Well, I'm changing my last name next June, but also changing my website name in general. Um, I'm just not sure what to yet. So um, for now, that is how you can get to me. Um, if you want to DM me on Instagram, please feel free. I'm pretty good at checking those. Um, yeah, but that's, that's me. Yeah. We'll link to all of that below in case you didn't quite catch it. So you can just click there. Megan, do you have any kind of closing thoughts, closing remarks, anything that we didn't touch on that you want to? No, I just, I mean, this was a great combo. I feel like we're both two very passionate people and it, it came out in the conversation. So I hope it was entertaining if nothing else <laughs> well i'm certainly going to be reframing my workouts after this i'll say and i'll try to turn a few more heads in my warm-up and do a little bit less band wobbles because i just love the band wobbles and do a little <laughs> bit more rolling around on the floor and the quote-unquote weird stuff yeah and i'm gonna steal some of your isometrics that you did and i'll get more weird looks so <laughs> between the two of us all the weird looks <laughs> megan and soon to be dr barrington and soon to be dr new last name it was great having you on the podcast thank you i really appreciate your time thank you so much it was so fun thank you so much for listening to this episode of the brown body health and fitness podcast if you liked this episode please make sure to share it with a friend subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.